Proverbs 29, 18. This should be a memory verse. Make this a memory verse. Make this your first memory verse of the new year if you're doing memory. But don't let it interrupt any current memory work that you have going on. Um, who's currently memorizing something in Scripture? What are you memorizing? What's that? What does it say? <laughs> I don't have it memorized. Ah, okay. What are you memorizing? John 1. John 1, nice. There was a lot of hands. I didn't realize that there were that many active memory projects happening. This is, this, that's very encouraging. Uh, I currently don't have a scripture memory goal. I should. I'll, I'll think about it. I already have Proverbs 21 and 18, so I can't do that. But... Uh, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, or the people perish, if you have the King James. But blessed is he who keeps the law. We're talking about vision for the next, uh, for this week and next week at least. I'm going to, not exactly sure what we're going to be doing on the 18th or the week after that, 24th, 25th. Um, on the 18th, the, uh, well, on that whole weekend, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe Ballet is happening, and Saturday night is like the, it's one of the, uh, tech, technical rehearsals where they figure out all the staging and lighting and everything. Uh, I will, I might be tied up with that. Um, that's one of the things that I help coordinate. That's one of the, my favorite things to do in the year. Uh, I'm glad I get to do it. <laughs> he did it again. Trying to start it from back there. It's like trying to start the wave or something. Um, so I, I think I may ask uh, Dan Scheffler to come speak for us that night uh, if, if I have to be out. The week after that the, uh, is the, the broad CF Church uh, leaders retreat is happening. So that always uh, leaves things sort of in a lurch at all the churches, like every leadership team, which usually includes like everyone that knows how to do the worship and all that stuff. We're, we're usually left scrambling. Uh, so that's, that's happening then. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll announce as soon as I know what our plans are for that weekend as well. Um, we will likely be doing whatever LCF is going to do and joining with them. Uh, but for this week and next week, we're going to talk about vision. And if you're around here at all, and if you've been around here for a while, you know that, that we use that word quite a bit, the vision. Uh, we, we want to, to know the vision, to walk in the vision, to be aware of the vision, to share the vision. Um, and it's one of those words that you, when you actually start to think about, what, is, what do I mean? What are, we talk, what are we talking about when we say vision? You can actually get a little bit confused. And so I want to bring some clarity to that tonight. Um, I, w- I want to talk about vision in general and look at the way it's talked about in Scripture and kind of de- define the way that we use it, wh- what we talk about when we are ta- what we're talking about when we talk about vision. Um, it's as I said, it's an important word uh, for us. And it's important, not just an important word. It's an important concept, and so it deserves some attention to to nail down. Precisely what we mean when we say it. Um, so what I want to do is go through Scripture and look at just the whole idea of vision, the, the phenomenon of vision or visions, and um, then offer some just thoughts generally on, on what the role vision serves in Scripture, and then also kind of explain uh, the, the way that, that we view vision and why it's so important to us. Um, so vision in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's, it's basically the same idea, um, is not so much different from the English word, the English sense of it. When someone has a vision, they are seeing something uh, not physically, but sort of in their mind. Uh, they are having a vision. The Hebrew word and the Greek word, just like in the English word, are from a word that means to see, right? Vision is our word for sight. Um, and so it, it literally just means a sight. That's what a vision is. It's seeing something, okay? Um, prophets in Scripture uh, were uniquely gifted and, and 
uh, gifted as even, I mean, one word for prophet is a seer, right? Just someone who sees. They have visions. That's the, that's the purpose that they have, is to see things. Um, so that's what it is. It's just seeing something, having a vision, seeing something. It's not, it's not that complex of, a, of an idea, the way it's used in Scripture. Uh, the first time that we encounter the word in Scripture is in Genesis 15, and we can go there. It's always worth looking at the first, uh, the first time something pops up in Scripture. It usually sets the precedent for what's to come around that idea. Genesis 15 is <clears throat> when God makes a covenant with Abraham. And the very first vision that's mentioned in Scripture is, uh, is the, I'll just read it. It says, these things, the word, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham, Abra, Abra, uh, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. This is a, his household servant. Behold, uh, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The vision continues and then it says a great sleep falls on Abram and uh, we have the vision of the, the smoking pot and the, the torch that go through the center of the animals and the covenant ceremony itself. But the very first vision that's given is when God shows Abraham the stars and says, that's how your offspring are going to be. And so God is stating a reality, a truth. This is what's going to happen. And Abraham is acknowledging that that's not he, how he sees it right now. But then it says he believed the Lord, and that was righteousness. All right, so th- these, right there are all the aspects of vision, okay? God says something, and it's usually something that he himself is going to cause to, to happen. Man doesn't quite see how that's going to happen, but adopts the vision from God, receives the vision from God, and then lives in response to it. That, in a nutshell, is what vision is, right? God has something in his heart. He has something in his purposes. He reveals that to someone. He says, this is how it's going to be. Often he uses a physical, a physical symbol or an actual sight, right? He showed him the stars. And this is metaphorical. He says, you see the stars? That's how your offspring are going to be. Abram had started with, hey, Lord, I don't... You've, you've promised to make me a great nation. All I have is Eliezer. I don't even have my own son, let alone many sons. Okay? Um, and God says, well, let me show you something. And he shows him the vision. So that's significant as the, as the first vision that's mentioned in Scripture. Um, a little further on, Jacob has the vision of the latter. Or it's kind of a stairway, if you're a Led Zeppelin fan. Um, it's a ladder to heaven, and angels are ascending and descending on it. Um, and so what, what's he seeing? He's seeing a link, a, a, a passageway from heaven to earth. Right? Um, transaction happening. Commerce happening between heaven and earth. Right? They're going up and down and up and down. back And they're sharing... Things And this is a significant vision because that has to do with what vision really is getting at. And I'll explain that a little bit later. Uh, further on, we read about uh, Balaam, who was a Gentile. He wasn't one of God's prophets, but he had visions, right? It says that he saw things, even though his eyes were open, he received visions. Um, and then as you go on through the story of the Old Testament, um, prophetic vision begins to play an increasingly important role once, uh, once the kings start to come and the, the era of the kings happen. 
Uh, in 1 Samuel 3, which is where actually the kids are these days. 1 Samuel 3. Now the young man, Samuel, was ministering to the house of the Lord under Eli, who was the prophet in those days. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. If you remember, this is at the tail end of the period of the judges. Um, And the thing that marked the period of the judges is that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Another way you could say that is everyone walked according to their own vision. All right? And so the word of the Lord is rare in those days, and there's no frequent vision. Samuel becomes a prophet in the house of the Lord. He's the one that, that anoints David as king. Well, he anoints Saul, and then he kind of unanoints Saul and anoints David. And begins this line of, of kings, but it also begins the, the prophetic activity and the prophetic record begins to just multiply exponentially in the story of Scripture. And these things are, uh, I think, not coincidental. When, the fur- in other words, the, the further away the people get from walking as the people of God in the way that they should, the more God has to send prophets to remind people and to deliver, to see things and to, and to tell people what they see. Here's what, here's what God is saying, and you're not doing it. Right? So prophetic activity and, and seers just start to really come on the scene a lot more in those days. Um, eventually, prophetic vision itself, so prophetic vision is kind of given to the people of God as a corrective and as a remedy to their drift away from God's original intention for them as a people. And the prophets are there to remind people and to say, no, this is what it should look like, this is what it should look like, this is what it should look like, and it's not that right now. But then even, even prophecy itself starts to suffer the effects of corruption. And so Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 14... Jeremiah had some, uh, some confrontations with other prophets who were false prophets. He says this, Jeremiah 14, verse 13, And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. In other words, these these visions did not originate with God. They originated within the minds of the prophets. Okay, and so it's it's corrupt. It's lying vision. They're declaring a vision, but it's not. It's not God's vision. They're seeing something, but what they're seeing is their own fallen heads. Ezekiel 7. Verse 26. Disaster comes upon disaster. This is in the middle of a a proclamation of judgment. Ezekiel, so, you know, in terms of severity... And, and despair. <laughs> the prophets, the major prophets, start with Isaiah, then kind of go down to Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel is really like the deathbed prophet, they call him, of Israel. Right? It just gets worse and worse. And he has the worst job of them all. I think he actually has to eat feces at one point. Like, it just gets that bad <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a sign to Israel. But anyway, he's in the middle of one of these despairing prophecies And he says, disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet. And this, this is an example of how the prophetic role and vision itself became corrupt. They seek a vision from the prophet while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. So Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision... People 
cast off restraint. In other words, the people do what's right in their own eyes. And then it follows it up that it follows that up with, but blessed is happy is he who keeps the law. And so prophetic vision always meant to go hand in hand with the law and and reinforce the keeping of the law and, and bring people back to the keeping of the law. But here it says in Ezekiel, they seek a vision from the prophet and they don't care about the law and the counsel from the elders. What what a what a state of I mean, very often that can happen. When there's a lot of prophetic activity, everyone wants a vision. Yeah, this is great. They don't care about the law of God and they don't want to listen to the elders, the counsel of the, the wise guys. Right? And this is indicative of where Israel is at, at the very low point. Even prophecy, <laughs> even even the corrective, even the remedy is corrupt. Um, So then as you get into the New Testament, as as you would expect, uh, there's lots of mentions of vision or visions in the book of Acts. Um, There are a few in the Gospels, uh, one of which comes in in Matthew, where after the transfiguration, Jesus says, don't tell anyone the vision until until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Don't tell anyone what you've seen because it won't make sense unless you know the rest of the story, right? I'm going to the cross and I'm going to rise again. And then after you tell people what you've seen here on this mountain, it's going to make perfect sense. They're going to know who I am. But in the book of Acts, uh, Peter, in Acts 10, Peter gets a vision. Actually, Cornelius gets a vision. And then Peter gets a vision and the visions lead them to each other. And it's a vision of, what Peter has is a vision of, you know, the sheep being let down from heaven with all sorts of animals, and, and God says, rise, kill, and eat. So the vision for him uh, was, Peter, here's the proper way to live out the purposes of God right now. It's time for the Gentiles to come in. And his vision had everything to do with the inclusion of the Gentiles, which always was prophesied. No one was quite sure how that was going to work or the way it should work. And that's what the bulk of Paul's letters wrestles with. How does this work, the Jews and the Gentiles coexisting? What do we do here? But Peter has a vision of how that goes. And he says, well, God is called clean. Don't call unclean. And he tells that vision to some Gentiles that are listening. And the Holy Spirit falls and they begin to speak in tongues. And salvation comes to the Gentiles, right? So Peter has visions. They have to do with the purpose of God, how they're going to actually play out in this particular time. Paul has a vision. Uh, Obviously, the original vision, you know, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? The the blinding light strikes him blind. Uh, Ananias, during that time, has a vision of Paul coming to meet him. Um, Paul also has a vision of... uh, the Macedonian, he has a, when he's trying to make plans, trying to figure out where to go in his missionary journey, and he has a dream and a vision of a man standing and saying, come help us. So he says, oh, that's where we're going. <laughs> we're going to help that guy in Macedonia. And he also has a vision of, uh, it's kind of neat. Let's go to Acts 18. I like this one, 18.9. I went all the way into Romans. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. So not a, not an ecstatic vision, not a real apocalyptic vision, but a vision of, Hey Paul, I'm with you. Keep going. That's cool. So there's, there's a, a very broad range of what visions contain, okay? But the fact is that vision is a very real way, and a very important way, that God communicates his will to mankind, and that the people of God stay focused around what the will of God is. Um, all right, so some summary thoughts about vision just in our whirlwind trip through Scripture. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, 
the whole book of Revelation. <laughs> it's one big vision. <laughs> um, and I looked and I saw, I mean, this is a vision after vision after vision. Okay. Um, so without, without doing an exhaustive, anywhere close to even a, a preliminary treatment of the significance of some of these, um, here's some summary thoughts. Vision lives at the point where on earth meets as it is in heaven. I really think that the ladder, Jacob's ladder, tells us something of what vision is for. To reveal to us earth and heaven and how heaven wants to come down and and how earth needs to be like heaven and how earth needs to change in order to be like heaven, the ways in which it needs to change, and maybe revealing the distance between the two, how far away as it is on earth is from, or on earth as, (laughs) how far away on earth is from as it is in heaven, okay? But the more unrecognizable earth is, the more vision is needed, which is why prophetic activity increases as the kingdom continues to splinter and drift and become more and more idolatrous. Prophets are given visions of the real state of things on earth and the real state of things in heaven in light of the things on earth. Okay? So vision lives at the point where on earth meets as it is in heaven. Um, Vision is valuable, but it can be rendered useless by either being based in human thoughts as opposed to divine revelation, or by being sought for its own, its own sake, as we saw in Ezekiel. Just, we want to see vision. We want to have a vision. We want to see these things. We want to be wowed. Uh, a vision for consumption. Right? But, but another thing that you see in, in almost every biblical vision is, a, is an action, is, is an imperative. I didn't mention Isaiah's vision. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what did he see? He saw his own sin. He saw the sin of the people around him. But then he saw the means of atonement. And then he was sent with a message. That's a great example of what vision is. You see the state of things, but you also see what you need to do about it. Okay? Um, So, vision as we use the word. Uh, it's, we use it in a little bit of a different way. We, we throw it around a lot. Um, in some ways, it's sort of like a goal, right? If we say, you know, we're going to have a vision for this year, it means, what are we aiming at? Um, but typically, by vision, what we mean is a clear picture of the way God desires us to live right now. A clear picture, meaning a tangible picture, like concrete, not just, you know, God wants us to be godly people well what does that mean what does that look like what's the what's the what's the picture of that for here and now that's what we mean by vision and it is sort of a target to aim at but i would say it's it's more of the target god is aiming us at (laughs) if that makes sense that's another way you can think of vision it's not like your goal you want to achieve it's god's goal for you that he is moving you toward all right? That's what vision is. And so that's why vision is not, hey, come up with an idea and go do it. Vision is seek God, see what he wants, and see how he's going to get you there. And that's what we mean by vision. And, it, and, and vision exists at various levels. You, there's, an individual can have a vision. I see who I am before God. I see who he's created me to be. And I see what he's working in my life. And that's having vision for your life. Um, I see who he wants to give me to. That's having vision. Uh, Families can have vision. We see together who God has made us as a family. We know each other. 
We know what our gifts are, and we know how we are giving those to the people around us. Churches have vision. Uh, Local churches have vision. They need to have vision. Every church can't do everything that there is to do in the kingdom. That's why there's local churches. Um, We can't feed all the orphans in Africa. We've got to feed the orphans in this neighborhood, right? Because uh, if we feed all the orphans in Africa, no one's going to feed the orphans in this neighborhood, right? And things like that. There's a, there's a local need that we need to see and fill. A local mission. Um, and vision can also be, like I said, like in Scripture you see sometimes visions are majestic, I mean, captivating things like like showing God showing you the stars and saying that's what your offspring are going to be like what a vision but then sometimes a vision is is very practical <laughs> and not nearly as awe-inspiring like hey Ananias there's a guy named Paul he's coming down short street and you got to go meet him I mean that's too it's it's vision but it's two very different kinds of vision. So it exists at, at all different levels, right? A vision can be awe-inspiring, and a vision can be very clear and, and precise. Um, vision comes, it, it's, its source is not human mind, right? This is very clear from Scripture, that if you prophesy visions, if you tap into your own thoughts, your own desires, you're a false prophet, right? The vision has to find its source from God. Uh, and I would say that, that where we seek vision and where we have received vision is any combination of, of revelation of the word, right? truth in scripture, a, a literal prophetic vision, right? That's, that's happened before. There's, there's been prophetic visions that have said, Thus says the Lord. This is what we need to do. Um, The counsel and wisdom of elders can be a source of vision. Right? Sometimes a guy who's just done it a lot can say, you know, this is how you need to do it. He's given us vision. We know what it should look like. It's come from God via the wisdom of this man who's walked with God for a long time. Um. The counsel and wisdom of elders, and also pastoral guidance. That's part of pastoral gifting, is to, uh, is to lead people and to clarify for people what we're doing. And to, and to, uh, to clarify vision uh, for a local body, of, a small local body of, of believers. Okay? That's part of the, the pastoral gifting. Um, and vision is meant, so, that's what we mean by vision. Um, it can exist at different levels. There's not one way of having a vision. Um, the sources of vision are the word, prophecy, counsel and wisdom of elders, and pastoral guidance. And there's probably others as well. Um, and it's for, and this is, this is maybe the most important thing. The vision is meant to help us live together as God's people accomplishing his purposes in the earth. Vision is meant to be something that's outside of all of our minds, that's external, and that's central to us, to say, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. And it brings about the oneness of mind and the unity of purpose that God calls for in the church and that God desires in the church. We are united by our vision. Okay, We're not united by anything... I wouldn't even say we're united in some ways by our doctrine or theology or our uh, style of church. We are united by a vision. And that vision has come from all those sources that that I just named. Um, All right. So that's general vision, kind of what it is. Next week, I do want to talk about some the, the specific vision that we have, that, that we've already received. And this is the thing. There is some things that we know, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're called to do. And everyone that comes to be a part of us, this is what 
This is what we're giving ourselves to. Um, there are some unknown aspects of vision, like you as an individual, your family, right? There are some, vi- there's visions to be sought and to be received, but there's also visions that have been passed down to us and that have been clarified and are already known. And I want to, I want to kind of unpack some of those next week. Just who we are, what we already know, what's already been revealed uh, in terms of vision for us. Uh, But today, I just wanted to flesh out the idea of what it means uh, to be a people of vision. It's to be a people uh, who seek directly from God how we are to live on earth right now as it is in heaven. What does that look like? What does... How does that manifest among us? And to, to have a picture of that is to have vision. The principle in Proverbs 29, 18 is true at every level of vision. Um, where there is none, there is scattering. There is disbursement. If there's no vision for child training, If we don't have a common picture of what it looks like to train up children in a godly way, either the path of least resistance wins. (laughs) Everybody just does what they can survive with. (laughs) They just get by. Or you end up waffling from method to method, strategy to strategy, and pulling your hair out until you're an empty nester. And you can finally be done with that. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no central picture of what it looks like to raise godly children, this is going to happen. We're all going to find a different way, and everyone's going to be doing what's right in their own eyes. You're just going to have to do something, so you're going to do what's best to you. If there's no vision for a home fellowship, there's no clear, this is what a home group is for, which is one of the things we're going to talk about next week. Um... The strongest personality wins. Even if it's not the the home group leader. Um, The type A overachiever is going to win. Or the uh, chairman of the party planning committee is going to plan lots of parties and everyone's going to enjoy those parties. And that's going to be home group. right? Home group, the vision is have parties and get together and do these fun things. Um, Or the theology nerd is going to win. And we're just going to all be buried in books and studies and, and <laughs> not, not, can't come up for air. The theology nerd or just the nerd nerd's going to win. And we're all going to be, I don't know, what do nerds do? Play board games and, no, invent board games, create board games. Um, but that's what happens. Where there's no vision, where there's no picture that everyone can see and everyone's moving toward. <laughs> People disperse, and they end up wherever, right? And the picture is like when, when chaff, uh, you know what chaff is, like when you're threshing wheat and you throw it up and the wind carries the chaff away, that's what happens. The wind comes and poof. Paul says that we're no longer children. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head uh, so that we can no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's dispersion. That's casting off restraint. That's just being out there blowing in the wind. If there's no vision for how to plant churches, it's the same kind of thing. You end up getting a pocket here that wants to do something and gets a strategy going and kind of rallies everyone to their cause, whether people believe in it or not. So the question tonight, uh, and next week I want to answer the question, what is our vision? What do we know? about what our vision is. Uh, Tonight, the main question is, do you live with vision? Just, is that how you live your life? Do you live your life with a sense that God has desires? I'm here on earth. There's a gap between my life and the way it is in heaven. And I'm seeking God to show me what my life would look like on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? That's what it means to want to live with vision, to seek to be a vision-centered people. We want to hear from God, see it together, and give ourselves to it.
And where that doesn't happen, it is. It's just a scattering and a blowing in the wind. And it lasts for a little bit, but then it's here today, gone tomorrow. Um, so that's the, that's the broad question. But specifically, there's, I think there's two kinds of, of people. There are people who need a deeper or more clear vision of the heavenly reality. Right? And these are the people who really live in a concrete world, really like details, who really want a box to check off. The way that you need to seek vision is to, is to say, what does all of this have to do with heavenly truth, heavenly reality, the unseen world, the desires of God's heart, the way it is in heaven? Like Abraham, you need, to, you need God to say, listen, I know that you have some conclusions about your situation with your progeny. <laughs> Let me show you something. And there are some people that need to walk in a deeper vision in that way. Right? And you need to zoom out. These are the people that can't see the forest for the trees, as the, as the cliche goes. God wants to show you the forest and help you see, wow, I see how my little tiny sliver is connected to the whole thing. I'm connected to the thing that God started when he called Abraham. And I see it. I see the, whole, I see the chain all the way back. God wants to show you that. Uh, sometimes there are people who just live in that world. Man, they are. Everything is, yes, praise the Lord. But they really don't know what to do tomorrow. <laughs> But they really don't know what to do in the morning and how to structure their time and how to make decisions moment by moment and how these truths that have captured their heart play out on a concrete, personal scale. And that's another aspect of vision. And that's where you see God. God will zoom someone way out like Abraham. And sometimes he zooms way in. Like like Peter, he was saying, Peter understood He got it. He was a Jew. Paul understood. But he was saying, no, it's not like this. It's this. You think it looks like this, but it really should look like this. So this is God showing us the things of earth, how we are to live right now. Okay? That's what I think you see a lot of in the book of Acts. It's, we know what's been said. We know what the word has been pointing to. But we're still trying to figure out what it's supposed to look like. And so that might be a place where you need to seek God for a greater vision. What does, it, what does it actually look like in my life? Yeah, I get the truth. Man, I'm, I'm all in. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I'm here. What does it look like? How do I fit in? And so hopefully next week, that will, this will be very helpful for, for some of you all uh, who need just more details to sink your teeth into. Um, but I want to read... I want to read something. So Paul, I believe, was a truly visionary person and lived his life on both levels, right? I mean, this is a guy who was caught up to the third heaven, <laughs> received visions. He had, God had to give him a thorn in the flesh because of the, the profundity of the visions that he received. <laughs> he said, God had to, so that I wouldn't get puffed up, God had to give me a thorn in the flesh. We talk about deep vision, heavenly reality. But he's also a guy who, at every little church that he stopped at, every little church that he had a relationship with, he could see exactly how, in their particular situation, exactly what they needed to do in order to be living as the people of God in order to be reflecting that heavenly glory that he knew. All right, here's what you guys need to do. And for someone like Timothy, you would say, Timothy, the church of the living God, which is a pillar and a buttress of truth, and drink a little wine for your stomach so you don't get sick so often. <laughs> he was visionary on the extreme ends of the spectrum. Okay, And so I want to read in Ephesians 1, and our assignment this week is going to be read Ephesians. Uh, in light of what, what I'm telling you about Paul. 
because he writes his letters. He wants to make sure in the first, in, in so many of his letters, he wants to make sure in the first half of his letters, and this is true for Ephesians, and I want you to look for this, that they understand the heavenly vision. They understand the big truth. And then in the last half of his letters, he wants them to understand how you live in light of that truth. That's living with vision. Paul understood vision. And in the book of Ephesians, it's the same in Colossians. It's the same in... Uh, I'm trying to think of the other books. First Peter's the same way. Um, you, they start out, all right, here's the big truth. Here's what you need to grasp. But here in Ephesians, it's really interesting because Paul, twice in the first half, which is the vision part, the, the big truth, the heavenly reality part, twice he has to pray that they would be able to grasp. He stops right in the middle of his letter and says, now, I've just said some things, but I now need to pray that you could really actually grasp that and that you would really have a vision for it. Why? Because the things that he calls for in the last half of his letters require heavenly vision. You can't go off. You can't set off and and say, all right, now, everybody, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. All right, everybody got it? No, go do it. You can't do that. Because it's all rooted, he says, it's rooted and grounded in love. And love, you can't love unless you know the love of God, which surpasses knowledge, he says in chapter 3. So I want you to, I want you to let Paul bring you into his wrestling with vision. Because I think that, that that's where we need to be. We need to wrestle to grasp why. Why are we doing these things? Not, not in a complaining way. And I think there's something to be said for just obedience, right, and submission. There's something to be said for that. But ultimately, we want to be laying down our lives for our wives because of what we understand about the heart of God. Because we do understand his love. We want to be submitting to our husbands because we understand God. We want to be training up our children. Because we understand God and see God. And so I want to read um, this great prayer in Ephesians 1. And I want this to be our meditation for this week as we think about vision. I'm just going to read all of chapter 1. And I want you to listen for where he's trying to describe things that are glorious. And then he's going to conclude with, Basically a prayer that they would be able to grasp what he's just said. All right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, peace to, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's taking us to the heavenly places first. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world. We're not even one sentence in, and we've gone to the heavenly places before the foundation of the world. <laughs> that's, that's vision. That's big reality. He chose us that we should be blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. There's our theme. Maybe we'll read that one next week. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. He revealed it. He revealed the mystery. He showed it to us. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So we've gone from in the heavenly places before the foundation of the world. Now to Jesus Christ. Now in the fullness of time. <laughs> to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Wow. I mean, try and wrap your mind around. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, 
who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You've got to realize, and he's using past tense. These are things that have happened. Do you understand what's already happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, for this reason, he says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Because God has gotten a hold of you, and because you're starting to do it, I'm always praying for you. What's he praying for them? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Having real vision where it counts. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now there's vision for you. And in less than three chapters, he's going to be saying, and don't steal. And don't uh, let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And he's giving all of these practical instructions. But he doesn't want to give any sort of practical instructions that aren't founded on, and I quote, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So, here, you're gonna, you need to go and be this kind of people. You need to do this, this, and this. Because the same power that Jesus, that, that raised Jesus from the dead, is with you and at work in you and will cause these things to happen in your life. That's what vision is. Seeing the power, seeing the inheritance, understanding the hope that we have, and then also understanding how that all plays out here in our measly amount of time that we have in this life. That's vision. And so Ephesians, I want us to read Ephesians this week as a book of vision. Both the heavenly realities, the deep spiritual truths, and the very practical, helpful advice that Paul gives on how to actually live in this day and age. Amen? So Paul the visionary is going to teach us how to be people of vision. Um, And so I, I do want to... Try and have you read, if you can, if you, if, if you can sink your teeth into this, read Ephesians and try and imagine Paul setting forth a vision. Okay? And, and, and get into the book with him like that. Get into the letter. Get into his struggle. Because he's going he's gonna to do it again in chapter 3. He's going to have to stop and pray for them. That they would understand something. Um, so listen to that. Listen to his, his attempt to... to Uh, Bring them into the vision and describe the vision to them. Um, Those heavenly realities, but then also uh, the practical outworkings of those things. Because that's where vision lives. Vision bridges for us heaven and earth. Vision is the the ladder on which the angels ascend and descend. Uh, And ultimately, Jesus is our vision. He is where heaven meets earth. He is the eternal truth of God, and he is the man. He's fully God and fully man. And so he is where all of our vision begins and ends. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that as we, uh, as we seek you for vision and as we understand what that even means, uh, that you would bring us into these words of Paul, that you would bring us into this book and um, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in these days, Lord that you would prepare us to hear 
uh, next week, Lord, that you'd prepare us to hear the specific vision that you've given us. Um, having meditated on the eternal truth of, of who we are, who you are, who we are in light of you, uh, what, the, what Jesus has done for us, what he has accomplished for us, what's the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us. Uh, Lord, all these things that Paul is, is uh, raining down on, <laughs> on us in this letter, uh, that you would really uh, give us uh, hearts to hear and ears to hear, God. Uh, we do want to have clear vision and we want to be people of vision. And we trust that you will uh, take us there, Lord. Uh, and Lord, as we begin this year, I pray that, that you would give us a clear sight, that we would not be confused, that we would not be tossed to and fro by our own ideas, by ideas that float through uh, from the world, uh, but that we would hear you together clearly, God, and uh, that you would uh, make this church a church of, of great vision. You fill us with hope and fill us with uh, direction and make our path straight as we do that, Lord. Uh, for your name's sake, amen. Um, well, any questions about any of that? I know it's not nothing very specific about our unique vision, um, but just vision in general. Any points of clarification? Well, good. All right. Let's do it. See you next week. Read Ephesians. Read a few times. Um, it, it'll be good.